Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Welcome to episode 285 of the IT Career Energizer podcast. My guest on today's show is an experienced, hands-on software architect involved in the architecture, design and implementation of microservices architectures and other distributed systems in a variety of technologies. He's been in the software industry since 1983 and is the author of numerous technical books and videos. He has also spoken at hundreds of conferences and user groups around the world on a variety of enterprise-related technical topics. So it's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Mark Richards. Excellent. Thank you so much, Phil. And thank you so much for having me on the IT Career Podcast. This is, uh, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about a lot of this stuff. Great. So it's great to have you on the show. What I wanted to do is is possibly ask you specifically about the role of the software architect and maybe just explain to the audience how that fits into the overall development lifecycle. Yeah, sure. That's a great place to start, providing the fact that I have been in the IT industry, Phil, for 36 years, uh, 26 of those as a software architect. And it's quite amazing to try to define and explain what you do for a living. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I like to uh, really try to define uh, the role of a software architect really through uh, the corresponding expectations. Uh, my, my joke that I usually say is on want ads, my favorite want ad I've ever seen, Phil, for a software architect was wanted enterprise architect must know JavaScript. And that one, Phil, I will never, ever forget because it's it really defined for me uh, the confusion in the industry about what, in fact, a software architect does. But some of yes. the core expectations really is uh, to really make architecture decisions and form those decisions to help guide uh, the technology decisions through uh, the team. That, that really is the first kind of thing an architect does. But but there's all sorts of other things. It's like, for example, continually analyzing the architecture and recommending solutions for improvement. Because generally, Phil, in most organizations, no one else is doing that. <laughs> um, and this is really about maintaining that architecture vitality. It's it's one of the expectations and roles of an architect to do. Um, it's also about ensuring compliance with the architect, architecture and those corresponding decisions uh, that we make as an architect. But then it kind of uh, branches out a little bit from that. Uh, it's also uh, kind of the role of a software architect, um, curiously enough, to understand really the political climate of the enterprise and navigate politics. Uh, that one, That one I'll probably be talking about a little bit during our podcast. But also really to lead and guide teams, uh, really possessing that exceptional interpersonal skills of teamwork and facilitation and negotiation uh, to really lead teams. Uh, it's uh, it, it's quite a daunting role uh, when you start taking all those aspects into account. <laughs> yeah, indeed. So one thing I want to ask you in particular, so I often see, as you, you mentioned, job adverse, but there's often a distinction made between a systems architect and an enterprise architect. Mm -hmm. So is that something you come across or do you feel they are 
very very related or are they more they more sort of distinct no uh, in my experience Phil they are actually rather distinct uh, usually now there's a lot of titles and that's why I tend to go more focused on the expectations of an architect but uh, but when we look at the titles, it starts to vary quite a bit. Uh, back in the day, I'll say, <laughs> we, we had kind of three real, really distinct titles, and that was an application architect, integration architect, and enterprise architect. And those were really the three primary tiers. And the roles with those really matched well in the old days, uh, somewhat in the current days. Uh, but really an application architect is responsible for a particular system or application and works very closely with the development team or teams for that system. Uh, whereas an enterprise architect, Phil, is really more concerned about how the various systems within a particular department, division, or even the entire company, depending on the size, uh, interact and work together to produce business capabilities. And so that kind of architect's more concerned about the capabilities of each system and how they interact and exchange information and data, as opposed to the inner workings of those applications and what the corresponding architectures are of those. Absolutely. I've got a feeling we could talk about this for rather a long time. So. Oh, a whole podcast worth, yes. <laughs> Indeed. Exactly. So maybe something we have to revisit in the future. Indeed. <laughs> okay, what we'll do, we'll move into the the main core, the the. Mm -hmm. um, the podcast. So, Mark, can you share with us a career tip, one that the audience may not be aware of and perhaps should be? Oh, yes, I would love to. As a matter of fact, uh, I'm going to share probably my top career tip uh, out of, again, all of my experience. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to convey that career tip to you by really describing to you at the same time a story of one of my worst career moments. Uh, it's interesting, Phil, that a lot of career tips uh, that a lot of folks like myself uh, tend to uh, give people advice on uh, really did come from lessons learned. And this is really my first one. Uh, back in the mid-90s, this tells you how far back this career tip goes, uh, was my first job as an application architect. And I was on a very large and very complex uh, Honeywell to IBM conversion. And this, again, is in the mid-90s. And it was a very complex uh, job. Now, I, I had done a lot of programming prior to that. I felt full of myself and I was ready to take on this lead architect role. Well, uh, the problem is, and I will cut to the quick on this story, is um, that project uh, was completed um, on time and within budget. And as a matter of fact, uh, as a result of kind of my very abrasive actions towards other team members, uh, several people actually left the company as a result of me. And it wasn't uh, one of my proudest moments. Uh, it's one that I reflect on continually. Um, but it was probably my worst career moment that I've had. And that leads to my top career tip that I can give everybody advice for. And that is, my lesson learned was that soft skills matter. It matters whether you're a developer, especially as an architect, or really any role within IT, whatever career path you take in IT, 
the number one thing that I can give as a tip is remember those soft skills, the people skills, working with people. Um, this for me, Phil, was my career differentiator, uh, which I'll probably end up talking about later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've got to ask you, I mean, obviously you, you sort of understand that people left because of maybe your actions or how you how you engage with them or communicated with them. How did you find that out? Was that, was that obvious to you at the time or was that something that, you know, somebody told you, Oh, these people have decided they don't want to be here anymore. How did that work? Yeah. Fantastic question because this really points to the uh, crux of what the problem is in gaining some of these soft skills. Oh, I thought I did a great job, Phil. I really thought that I, I really did a great job as that first application architect, leading teams and all this kind of stuff. Um, I did have a very close friend who was on that team, and he was the one who actually conveyed uh, this information to me. Um, he really helped me through my career. He was the he was actually I would say my mentor in terms of gaining those soft skills and really learning the impact of not having those soft skills and. So we had a lot of conversations and a lot of collaboration together about what I could have done better, what I did wrong. Uh, you know, some things I did right, but very few. <laughs> Technically, I was a genius. Uh, however, um, that uh, that was one thing that's followed me since the mid-90s in my career was that one single most important tip. Um, yeah. Yes. Okay. So the, ne- the next question is about your worst IT career moment. Do we think we've covered that or do you have another story maybe? Yeah. You know, Phil, I've had a lot of technical ones that have related to uh, lessons learned in testing, um, but those all pale in comparison to uh, that time when I found out uh, what the impact of my actions on that project were uh, kind of really... Uh, Everything else I can mention really pales in comparison to that. <laughs> okay. So, Mark, so move on maybe onto something a bit brighter. Maybe you can tell us about your career highlight. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I when reflecting back of kind of my greatest achievements or when I think about all the stuff I've done in 36 years, you know, right away, Phil, so many immediate things come to mind in terms of overcoming certain technology challenges or problem solving. But I would have to tell you, my career highlights um, and my greatest achievement was actually not technically related in my IT career. Uh, I still code uh, as, a, as an architect, and that's the, the, the kind of the title hands-on software architect really infers the fact that, yes, I am an architect. I have been for 26 years, and I still write code. Um, But it's kind of interesting, and I bet a lot of people listening are fairly surprised that, wait a minute, your greatest achievement wasn't technical? And I would definitively say no. Um, About 10 years ago, I went uh, as an independent consultant, and I was going to take three months off of my career uh, to be able to just really think about what I wanted to do. And that last week that I was working, I received an email from a company who wanted me to work on a very short three-month conversion project. It was like, hey, that's not a bad way to start my independent career. It's very scary in an IT career perspective 
uh, to what's called, quote, go independent. Uh, I've always, prior to that, about 10 years ago, again, I made that that split, um, was always a consultant, but hired by consulting firms. And so I did draw a salary, although rarely was I what is called being on the bench. Um, so coming back to my story, so I said, this would be great because that three-month sabbatical I wanted to take would end up for the summer. Well, it turns out that I was actually on that uh, in that company, on that various projects, but within that company uh, for six years as an independent uh, consultant, as an architect. And a part of that was coming back to my first tip, the, the soft skills, but uh, what actually was my highlight in that, Phil, was the fact of being able to build a development team and really, um, as the IT architect, uh, really manage uh, that project and that team. And we had such a close-knit team. We worked together so well. Uh, that is essentially what the highlight, if I reflect back, uh, was being with these people, um, that development team, uh, we could do no wrong. It, it just, it just was such a well-oiled machine. Uh, we did everything together: the the, the technical relationships, the non-technical relationships. Uh, that feeling of being so close and part of a team was truly the highlight of my career. Uh, I had so many opportunities during those six years, Phil, to probably double to maybe even triple my salary. And I said, no, thank you. I'm happy where I'm at. And uh, I, I reflect back on those six years as probably the, well, the most rewarding and perhaps the best experience I had uh, in those 26 years. Um, of or 36 years of my career, actually. <laughs> it's um, great to hear. I have to ask, though, obviously, that was that had a, a finite life, presumably. There, there must have been a, a point of the six years, presumably, where it came to an end. Indeed, indeed. And as a matter of fact, uh, part of that was driven off of my desire, really, Phil, and that was uh, to uh, start branching more into some... Uh, more training, more uh, conference speaking, uh, more writing books and such. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, the the projects that we were working on, uh, most of them microservices related, were, were starting to wane as well and going into maintenance modes. And so it, it was kind of a slow progression towards uh, really trimming down those teams. And so it was a very... Uh, good but very appropriate time for kind of an exit on that. Um, right. So a real combination of factors meant it came to its natural conclusion. Indeed. Indeed. It was a natural conclusion. That's a great way to put it, Phil. It was a very natural conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Mark, can you maybe tell us what excites you about the future of the industry and careers in IT? Oh, yeah. That's So, boy, <laughs> I'm, I'm very excited and I'm very frustrated because uh, well, while I'm, I won't give out my age, um, a lot of you can probably infer it from being in the industry for over 36 years. Uh, however, one thing that really excites me about the current and the future of IT, and especially the careers within IT, is really the advancement in the tools, the platforms, and the frameworks that allow, that allow us 
as IT professionals to really focus more on problem solving, particularly in the advances with machine learning and AI. And that's really where I get excited about the future, really, of a career in IT. As a matter of fact, um, if I had to start my career over, um, this is exactly what I would sink my teeth into. I get very excited about machine learning, artificial intelligence. Uh, But Phil, it's interesting, not in the aspect of robotics. I love the aspect of machine learning and AI as applied to business applications. Uh, the thing that I get most excited about, about what and what I see as the future of a lot of IT is really leveraging a lot of the things we're learning about machine learning, AI, and apply those to create really these self-configuring systems, uh, things I've already actually worked on a little bit. Um, the ability for software, whether it be product-based or in-house, uh, to be able to learn about its environment, learn about changes in that environment and adopt itself and self-configure itself to those environments. Uh, This is fascinating stuff to me and this gets me excited about the future. It's really leveraging these new tools, being able to solve particular problems without having to be so much in the nuts and bolts of uh, the assembly of these things. Yes. So I, th- I think you're, you're almost coming on to my follow-up question, actually. So in terms of how that will affect individuals who are working in the industry, presumably that's going to change the way we work and what we do? Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I I believe so. I, I think, uh, again, when I think and reflect back on my career, uh, of course, I, I started programming when I was very young uh, with a Timex Sinclair, as a matter of fact. I've always loved programming. Um, And when I reflect back on all the, well, I started really with assembly language when it really started in in programming in earnest. And I think about how much we had to pay attention to as developers, as programmers. And while that was exciting, the problem was we got buried in the weeds of the technology aspects of what we were doing. And we really didn't see the problems we were trying to solve. That creative piece of IT uh, tends to be overshadowed sometimes when we have to deal with the mundane technology aspects of the zeros and ones. Um, Although that's still necessary, and especially in a lot of applications necessary, um, this this is where I see uh, kind of the future careers going. It's it's more towards leveraging all these great tools and platforms that help abstract us from those nuts and bolts. Um, yes, this makes yeah, it exciting. I think you're right. It is absolutely okay. We're going to go into the reveal round now. We're going to find out a little bit more about you and the way you think. Are you ready for this? Yeah, let's go. So, what first attracted you to a career in IT? Oh, well, I've been <laughs> I I have been interested in overall science ever since I was a little kid. As a matter of fact, I even caught my parents' uh, garage on fire playing around with chemistry. Um and that was not a uh that was really bad. <laughs> uh, but you know, my my dad was into science as well. He he made his own telescope, ground his own mirrors, and we would sit there for hours uh watching 
this, the planets and the moon. And so not, not surprisingly, I ended up becoming an astronomer and I launched my career. But what really got me attracted to IT uh, was really just the love of programming. Uh, irrespective of all the science stuff I really liked, um, I've always dabbled with computers. Um, I, I actually started, Phil, uh, as studies in college uh, as a marine biologist. That's and uh, after two years, I just got a little disillusioned with all the hardcore science of biology. And that's actually when I switched to thinking about a career in IT as opposed to it being a really cool hobby of just writing games and stuff. And so it really, it really was during my college time uh, that I really did switch over to computers. And uh, even as an astronomer, I still, while I was an observational astronomer, I still worked with computers to automate uh, that, that observatory. And so that's what really got me at first attracted to IT. What is the best career advice you've ever received? Oh boy, is that an easy question to answer, Phil. That I don't ever have to think about. <laughs> I love I love it when there's no pauses of, uh, why, I don't know. No, this one's easy. Yeah. <laughs> um, the best career advice I have ever, ever received was, quote, don't follow the money. The money will come. I was started my IT career, actually, at a very large bank. And I had a mentor. Um, and I got disillusioned at the bank and wanted a new job. And I, my, my colleague ended up getting a job for 26000 And I was only making twenty, And he found an opportunity for me that was only eighteen thousand. Uh, can you imagine? That's all I made back then. <laughs> yeah. And I said, "Yeah, but wait a minute, Charlie. Charlie's making twenty six thousand. You're saying take this?" And he said, "Mark, he said this is a good opportunity. Take it. Don't follow the money." And I trusted him. And that was the best advice I've ever received. Do you know, Phil? In thirty six years of working in my career, I have never made a job change for money. There have been other factors, especially kids. Um, however, I've, I've never changed a job solely to get a higher pay. And, and that was the best advice I could ever relate to anybody else as well. Okay, this might be a little bit more tricky. What is the worst career advice you've ever received? Hmm. Now there's a little bit of a pause. <laughs> <laughs> You know, Phil, I'd have to say, and this is kind of interesting because it's going to be a double-edged sword. Um, I received some advice in the mid-90s, um, and the advice was for my career, Mark, perception is reality. You got to focus on your perception. And this kind of led to the consultant's creed at the time, and this is going back into the mid-late 90s, the consultant's creed was the perfect consultant was that consultant that arrived five minutes before your manager and left five minutes after your manager. And it was all about managing this perception. It had always bothered me, Phil, and I had analyzed that kind of advice and understood it, but realized um, that was probably not good advice. That was probably the worst advice I received because it really seemed to manage perception was really kind of faking it in a way. And there was a reality that existed. It may not have been seen. And that was the point of that advice. I mean, I would, I would be pulling 16-hour days and no one would know. And 
that was fine, but I realized I need to know. I need to know that I'm doing the best I can in my job, irrespective of whether you see that or whether you perceive that or not. And so it really is an interesting double-edged sword. So I, I encourage everybody listening to think about that advice, perception is reality, and how you've managed it in your career, because there is a balance there. It's kind of, a, yes. kind of interesting. <laughs> That's interesting. Yes, definitely. Okay. I mean, you probably answered the next question already, but if you were to begin your IT career again in today's world, what would you do? <laughs> well, my immediate answer would be, uh, as opposed to sinking or swimming, I would definitely sink. Um, I really, really feel for folks who are entering into the IT industry today. Um, it is hard. It is much broader than what it was uh, 36 years ago. Um, however, to answer your question, and I, I kind of already did, uh, I would drop everything and I would sink every bit of my effort into machine learning and AI it's something that fascinates me, not only as a science-related person, but also just within IT. It's the future. It's something that at my waning years, Phil, uh, I would be way behind the eight ball. And by the time I get ready to retire, that's when exciting things would be happening in this area. Um, but that's, that's where I would absolutely begin. I, I would just sink every bit of effort into really focusing on those kind of technologies. That's fun stuff. And what career objectives are you currently focusing on? Ah, well, as I said, in my waning years of my career, you know, Phil, what I've been trying to do is really focus more on training, whether it be public or private, uh, speaking at conferences, uh, doing these kind of contexts or, or, or podcasts. You know, it's it's interesting. Um, my focus now is really on spreading knowledge rather than being an individual contributor. Um, I, I still do consulting gigs, uh, but that's really starting to wane now. I, I feel it's harder for me to kind of keep up. And so my objectives really have switched over the past couple of years uh, to really just find out and finding out that spreading knowledge is really more valuable. It is definitely. Yeah. Yep. And what's the number one non-technical skill that has helped you in your career so far? Mm, hands down, Phil, I would have to say, especially as an, a software architect, negotiation skills. Yes. Negotiation yep. skills to me, in my humble opinion, are one of the most important skills an architect can have. And you might say, what? Why are you saying that, Mark? Well, here's the point. Almost every decision you make as an architect will be challenged by developers, other architects, even stakeholders, business stakeholders. And having those negotiation skills is typically one of the only ways of doing your job as a software architect. Yes, I think you're right. And, and one thing that, that um, I'm quite conscious of when it comes to things like that negotiation, where you've got multiple points of view and opinion, there's going to be a trade-off at some point. And to be able to yes. negotiate and get people to accept what those trade-offs are is all part of that. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And what do you do to keep your own career energized? Hmm. Yeah. You know, part of your prior question was what does an architect do and what is it being a software architect? And really part of that is maintaining what is called a technical breadth and that is that 
still maintaining some technical depth, in other words, deep knowledge about something, but to keep my career energized um, in the, this busy world, um, I do something, Phil, I like to call uh, my 20-minute rule. And what I do every day is I devote 20 minutes at a minimum to my career. Uh, there's a lot of sources. I, I listen to podcasts. I read articles. Uh, for example, the ThoughtWorks technology radar is a really good example. Uh, InfoQ, I-N-F-O-Q, the letter Q.com is one of my go-to sources. Uh, I, I, I love to see buzzwords that I haven't heard before and just look at them. And so the 20-minute rule I do very first thing in the morning, as a matter of fact, right after getting that blessed cup of coffee or tea before checking email, <laughs> because once you check email, your day is over, yes. <laughs> is really to just invest that 20 minutes just to learn. Yep. That's and uh, that's how I keep my career energized and maintain that technical breadth at the same time. And what do you do in your spare time away from technology? Wow. Well, three things kind of come to mind. I love reading, um, particularly uh, fiction reading. Um, science fiction, science fantasy is mostly my genre, but I've been branching out into a lot of other ones. As a matter of fact, if anybody's curious about what I'm reading or books I've read, I have actually a reading list of books as well as ratings. I do star ratings on those, my own kind of reviews of those in uh, the About Me section oh. uh, of my website. Okay. Um, but also, um, I love home repairs and remodeling around my house. I love building and fixing things. And also my favorite activity, which really is hiking. I love hiking. So that also keeps me energized in my life as well. Yes, I'm sure it must. Yes. Okay. And Mark, can you share a parting piece of career advice with the audience? Yeah. As a matter of fact, I can. Uh, this not only pertains to fellow software architects um, such as myself, um, but really all aspects of IT, whatever career path you're choosing. And th that real parting word of advice would really be, um, be careful not to get caught up in the hype. Um, always analyze the trade-offs of anything that you see. Uh, this is one of the first laws of software architecture my friend Neil Ford and I coined, which everything in software architecture is a trade-off. Yep. And that could be extrapolated to all other aspects of IT, not just software architecture. Uh, too many times we jump on the bandwagon. And I think knowing, analyzing those trade-offs and seeing whether a solution is a good fit or not is probably the parting words of advice I can give to everybody in my experience. Yes. Yeah, that's good advice. Yep. And Mark, how can we find out more about you and connect with you? Ah, well, uh, the single place you can go to is my website, uh, which is developer2architect.com. And that's T-O in the middle of. So think of that transition from developer to an architect. So developer2architect.com. Uh, there's an about me section on there where you can learn about me. That's where my reading list is. You'll see that as you scroll to the bottom of the page. And also uh, something that I do is give back, which is Software Architecture Monday. Uh, every two weeks, I do a 10-minute free video on some aspect of software architecture. It's a way to kind of uh, do that give back in terms of the, really that spreading of knowledge that I've been trying to do in my career now. So uh, that's really the single place you can go to get all sorts of information, not only about myself, but also uh, architecture in general. Mark, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been great chatting with you. 
Oh, wonderful. And thank you so much for having me on the podcast, Phil. Hi, Phil here again. Now, if you thought about being a guest on the show yourself, or you have somebody in mind that might be a good guest, please do let me know. You can reach me on Twitter, where I'm at Phil Tech Career, or you can find me on LinkedIn, or you can even contact me through the website, which is itcareerenergizer.com. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.